Okay, everybody, welcome back to our second talk of today. Um, I'm joined here with the speaker, uh, Terence Real. So Terry is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. He founded the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples, individuals, and parents, along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn his relational life therapy methodology. He is the best-selling author of I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. Terry's most recent book is Us, Getting Past You and Me to Form a More Loving Relationship. His work, with its rigorous common sense approach, speaks to both men and women. His ideas on men's issues and on couples therapy have been celebrated in venues ranging from Good Morning America, The Today Show, and 2020, to Oprah and The New York Times. A proponent of full throttle marriage, as described in The Rules of Marriage, Terry has been called the most innovative voice in thinking about and treating men and their relationships in the world today. Terry has several, several courses available, including one called Back to Us for the General Public, and you can find that on terryreal.com, and one specifically for mental health professionals at relationallife.com. So Terry, it's brilliant to have you back with us again um, for, this, for this talk. And whenever you're ready, feel free to get going and best of luck. Well, thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for your time and interest in my uh, in my work. Uh, I'm going to be talking today about men. Uh, and uh, let me start with this. There's an old AA saying, uh, hurt people hurt people. And this talk is to help us understand uh, the kind of hurt uh, that is leveled against boys uh, and uh, gender fluid kids uh, in our culture, uh, and the hurting uh, that grown men uh, can often inflict uh, on themselves and on others uh, as a result. Uh, you you all asked me to speak specifically about men, and I'm drawing primarily uh, from my very first book. It's called I Don't Want to Talk About It. Uh, and I'll be drawing secondarily uh, from my brand new book, I, I have to say, a New York Times bestseller, that's a, that's a treat, called Us, uh, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving uh, Relationship. So, um, uh, and I uh, want to invite all of you to take our online courses, uh, a workshop on relational skills called Back to Us. Uh, which you can uh, find, uh, just go to my uh, website, terryreal.com. And for all of you uh, mental health professionals out there, please come and learn relational life therapy. It's a very different way of working than what we've all been trained in, and I think it's enormously effective. We have a very rich two-year training program, but you can also take specific courses a la carte. So... Uh, in the words uh, of the uh, great uh, gay uh, activist Harvey Milk, I am here to recruit you, <laughs> uh, the general therapist, in into learning about relational life therapy and uh, what I call uh, normal people uh, into learning how to live a relational life. So, uh, OK, hurt people hurt people. Let's talk about men. Um uh, let's start with the hurt. This is an extraordinary poem uh, by uh, the great writer D.H. Lawrence called Healing. I'm going to read you the poem. He writes, I am not 
a mechanism, an assembly of various sections. And it is not because the mechanism is working wrongly that I am ill. I am ill because of wounds to the soul, to the deep emotional self. And the wounds to the soul take a long, long time. Only time can help and patience and a certain difficult repentance. I love that. A certain difficult repentance. Rethinking. We call that recovery. Long, difficult repentance. The realization of life's mistake and the freeing oneself from the endless repetition of that mistake which mankind at large has chosen to sanctify. What is the wounds to the soul that come from the deep mistake that keeps getting repeated that mankind itself uh, has chosen to sanctify? For 30 years plus, I've been naming this mistake patriarchy. Patriarchy. And in some ways, my new book, Us, uh, culminates that uh, critique. Uh, in Us, I uh, critique what I call the toxic culture of individualism, which fuses with the older tradition of patriarchy to uh, move us into uh, two core delusions that make us miserable and make us miserable to be with. Here they are. One, I'm an individual. We know from neurobiology that we are not individuals. We do not self-regulate. We co-regulate our nervous systems with other human beings all day long. The idea of a freestanding individual is a myth. All individuals exist in a social matrix, a neurobiological context. The other is not only am I an individual apart from nature, but I stand above nature and dominate it. Uh, many have said it's a mistranslation, but at least in the King James Version, God gives Adam dominion over all the things that walk and crawl and fly over this earth. Bad idea. The Greeks called that hubris, overweening pride, which was the fault that drove down every Greek hero throughout all of their tragedies. You are not above nature. You are not God. That is grandiosity. Our relationships are our biospheres. I want to replace, and I go into this in great detail in, in us, I want to replace the delusion of power over, of power and control with the wisdom of what I call ecological humility. We are not above nature and in control of it. Whether the nature we're trying to control is our spouses, our kids, our bodies, I've got to have a hard body and lose that gut, our minds, I've got to think more positively, uh, other races, other cultures, the planet, nature itself. This is Madness. Uh, and I want to replace this with thinking relationally. The name of my school is Relational Life Therapy. 
the curative factor, the cure for trauma is relationship. All trauma is relational trauma, a disturbance in the field of connection. And I believe all healing is relational healing, the restoration of connection. If you are thinking in terms of win-lose, power struggle, me, 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 you versus me, you are nuts. <laughs> or more precisely, you're in a primitive part of your brain. The autonomic nervous system scans our body four times a second. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? If the answer is yes, we stay seated in what I call the uh, wise adult part of the brain, of the personality, prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that develops last in kids up to 26 years old, the part that developed last in us as a species. If the answer is no, I'm in danger, and that very much includes emotional danger, then the higher functions of the brain literally shut down the subcortical parts of the brain, more primitive, fire up, uh, fight, flight, or fix. Knee-jerk automatic response has everything to do with how you uh, adapted as a child to the trauma, either a violation uh, or neglect that you were subject to uh, as a uh, kid. Uh, and uh, this uh, adaptive, I call it the wise adult part of us. There is the wounded child part of us, which most men uh, experience as very young, first few uh, moments of life up to four or five. Uh, and then between these two, the adaptive child part of us, adaptive child part of us. This is the part of us that adapted. This is a kid in grown-ups clothing. It's an immature version of an adult saturated uh, with the dysfunction of patriarchy uh, that we internalized as kids and contorted ourselves uh, into being able to maneuver. And the work uh, is uh, recovery. The work, the essence of learning to live relationally, which is the curative factor in RLT, is uh, uh, in the moment of triggering, when you are flooded with fight, flight, or fix, when you're in the adaptive child subcortical part of the brain, can you take a moment or 20 or two hours, a walk around. I'm a big fan of breaks. Uh, anybody can go to my website and download the 10 commandments of how to take a time out. Take a break. Get back into the place where you're in your adult. You remember that the person you're speaking to is someone you love. And that the reason why you're speaking is to make things better. Uh, that is the ER school. I call it relational mindfulness. Coming out, you know, people say relationships take work, but they don't tell you what it is. The real work of relationships is not even day to day, it's minute to minute. In this moment, right now, am I going to choose my automatic knee jerk, same old, same old, or am I going to take a breath and reach for something more mature, 
more compassionate to myself and others, more loving. This moment and the beauty uh, of relational life therapy, uh, of my new book, Us, is that that shift, I call it relational mindfulness, remembering what you're about when you're triggered, that shift can be cultivated and grown. It can be strengthened like a muscle. And that is the way out of this mess. Listen, if you read the feminist psychology, the wound to girls and women occurs at the edge of adolescence, uh, 10, 11, 12. Uh, women uh, famously lose their voices in the traditional setup uh, and accommodate, uh, become a sway to what my colleague Carol Gilligan has called the tyranny of the nice and kind. And the work, uh, the healing work, and feminism has been on this, and I consider myself a feminist family therapist. Feminism has been on this for 50 years now, is re-empowerment, rediscovering that voice. The wound to boys is not at the edge of adolescence. The wound to boys is three, four, five years old. It's almost reverbal. It's so deep, so young. Before our sons have uh, read the language, learn to read, before they're in kindergarten, they have already read the code of masculinity. Uh, research lets us know that three, four, five-year-old boys are already shut down. They feel as much, but they know better than to express it. And you know what? You out there in your uh, progressive uh, hothouse uh, nuclear families, you may be trying to raise relational kids. Uh, I just finished a course that uh, for the general public that I, you can still watch uh, called Relational Parenting, How to Raise Relational Boys, Girls, and Non-Binary Kids. Uh, and I talk a lot about how to hold on to our sons, insist that they stay relational with us and don't pull away and don't turn monosyllabic. I'm sure I'll get that in the Q&A. We'll talk more about it. Uh, but the way traditionally uh, we turn boys into men is through disconnection. And even if you don't do it in your family, your boys are smart enough to know the schoolyard politics. Uh, look, after 50 years of feminism, for a girl to cross over to boyland may be fraught. But for a boy to this day, for a boy to cross over to girlland may well evoke a response that is downright violent maybe even physically violent and certainly shaming and relationally violent. The way we turn boys into men under patriarchy, and we're all living under patriarchy, it is, we are fish and patriarchy is the water we swim in. The way we quote unquote turn, you know, that's kind of interesting right there, turning boys into men. How much ink has been spilled on how to turn boys, how many books have been written about how to turn girls into women? We just assume it's going to happen. It's same thing with boys. Boys will become men. But patriarchy posits the whole journey as fraught. 
You have to have a father to pull that son away from the regressive suck of his mother. This is not psychology. This is nonsense. This is patriarchy. The essence uh, of traditional masculinity is disconnection. We disconnect from our feelings, from our wants and needs. We become little steely supermen. We disconnect from others. We call that autonomy and independence. And the cost of disconnection in boyhood is a disconnected adult man. And the healing move in working with men is not empowerment. A lot of men are falsely empowered, too empowered. Uh, the healing move is reconnection, hooking up the wires. I'll sit with a guy and hand him a list of seven feelings, joy, pain, anger, love, shame, guilt, fear. What are you feeling right now? And what else are you feeling? And what uh, men have to be led by the hand because they haven't really tuned in to their emotion. Men under patriarchy are allowed two feelings, anger and lust. Anything vulnerable is by the boards. The more invulnerable you are, the more manly you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more girly you are, and that is not a good thing. Think about boys, superhero, Terminator, Superman, literally men of steel with no flesh on them, no softness anywhere. It's nonsense. We human beings are vulnerable. That's who we are. We are not made of steel. We're made of flesh and bone. We have feelings. We get hurt. We get sad. We get scared. Give me a break. I tell the guys I work with, running away from your own human vulnerability is like trying to escape your rectum. <laughs> it has a way of following wherever you go. Furthermore, it is through vulnerability, thank you, Brene Brown, it is through vulnerability that we humans connect to each other. And in heterosexual relationships, across the West, Empowered women are insisting on more levels of emotional connection with their men than we traditionally raise boys and men to be able to deliver. Think about that. How can you be intimate and invulnerable at the same time? When we therapists invite men to be vulnerable, share their feelings, be compassionate, listen to their partner's complaints without getting defensive. We are asking for them literally to reconfigure masculinity. And one of the things I say, and I've said it for 30 years, is that leading men, women, and non-binary folk into intimacy is synonymous with leading them beyond patriarchy. Women need to discover powerful, loving voice, and men need to open their hearts and reconnect. The other thing that RLT, I think, contributes to this conversation and the therapy uh, is that, and this is really important when working with men, um, for 50 years, the field of psychology has focused on shame. And men are haunted by shame and anxiety. We're all haunted by shame and anxiety because we're trying to live up to a standard that's a lie. We're not in control of nature. 
and we're not invulnerable. This is all not bullshit. Uh, pardon my American. This is nonsense. Uh, and yet uh, we all try and act as if uh, we had everything under control. Uh, so we're haunted uh, by shame and anxiety because we're trying to uh, portray ourselves as inhuman. And we're not. But this is commonly um, acknowledged in the phrase, the fragile male ego. The male ego is fragile uh, because it's a delusion. It doesn't exist. Okay. The uh, next piece uh, is uh, not just shame, but what I call the other self-esteem disorder. Uh, it's critical as we men recover, it's critical as we work with men that we lead men into healthy self-esteem. What does that mean? It means I have worth, I'm lovable, I matter from the inside out. I have worth because I'm here, I'm a human being just like everyone else. There's a great old Irish proverb uh, no matter how high or great the throne, what sits on it is the same as your own. Uh, healthy self-esteem is same as, neither better nor worse uh, than anyone else. Unhealthy self-esteem can be shame, uh, uh, which is the hurt, uh, feeling inferior, unlovable, defective, impotent, powerless. Uh, but you can also have unhealthy self-esteem by going up into grandiosity, superiority, contempt, looking down your nose at someone, controlling someone, attacking them, feeling entitled, feeling above the rules. If you're going to work to lead people into intimacy, we must help people come up from the one down of shame and just as much come down from the one up of grandiosity. You cannot love, let me say this, you cannot love from the one down inferior position, you cannot love from the one up superior position. Love demands democracy. We are neither better nor worse than anyone else. But we men have a horrible time uh, learning how to love ourselves. Uh, and we often, not always, but often, lead from the one-up, superior, entitled, grandiose, attacking, controlling position. Men in our culture, this is a broad generalization, and I own it. There's a million, very, okay, everybody get that? Men in our culture tend to lead from the one-up grandiose position and have covert issues of shame. Women in our culture tend to lead from the one-down inferior accommodating position and have covert issues of grandiosity. And if you want to talk about women's covert grandiosity, it's a fascinating uh, conversation. I gave, uh, a, you can go to my website and download a, a course on working with uh, grandiose uh, uh, women. Uh, it's, it's complicated. Okay, so what is healing then? We healers, therapists, coaches, 
we have to hold men accountably and lovingly at the same time, in the same breath. Uh, and um, when I first started working uh, back in the 1980s, there was a split in the field. I, I still think there is. Uh, certain feminist groups, 12-step groups, the, uh, domestic violence groups were very good about addressing male privilege, what I call poison privilege, uh, privilege that destroys you as well as the person you're inflicting your in offensive behavior on. They were very good at holding men responsible, but they had very little empathy. There was no sense of these men as traumatized as they all are. All offenders have been traumatized. Uh, no sense of that. And then there's traditional psychotherapy, nurturant therapy, which uh, you know held men's wounds, uh, but acted as if they never heard of sexism or patriarchy or um, dealt with men's offending. Uh, behaviors. And I knew, having grown up with a depressed, violent man, I knew that in order to heal men, we had to hold them lovingly and accountably in the same breath. And one of the keys to that was working not just with shame, but also with grandiosity, not just with, when we think of trauma, we think of disempowering abuse, uh, yelling, screaming, beating somebody, abuse that leaves a boy feeling small, helpless, unlovable. But uh, there's also what one of my great mentor, P.M. Melody, called false empowerment, pumping up a child's grandiosity, uh, uh, pumping up their uh, male privilege, uh, not sitting on uh, them. Uh, in ways that a parent uh, should, teaching them to be less selfish and more considerate of others. That's our job. If we neglect that, that is a form of abuse. The most destructive phrase in the English language is this one. Honey, you understand me more than your father does. That's false empowerment. That is no gift. My father was a violent man. I remember being a little boy, like second grade, I think. And I had a terrible report card. I was already acting out from the family dysfunction. I was petrified to give it to him. I handed him my card. You never knew what my dad would do. And instead of flying into a rage, as I'd anticipated, he laughed, threw the card on the ground and said, it's just because those idiots don't know what to do with you. You're too bright for them. That's false empowerment. That's pumping up my superiority. It was no favor to this little six-year-old boy. And I want you to know, this is true. I went from elementary school, junior high, and high school, dropping into school about once a week, I figured out very quickly that if I came to school about once a week, that would be enough to get me a D average, and that would be enough to get me through school. And that's what I did. I graduated high school and had to go to a community college because I didn't have grades to get into a regular school. That's where I started off. I wanted to get the hell out of my house, my home. So I got all A's, and then I graduated to the state school. 
But I still have big gaps in my education because of my father's false empowerment. That's grandiosity. When we work with men, we must work with both. Most forms of trauma are both disempowering and falsely empowering in the same uh, moment. And we have to work with both. My father was physical with me. When he beat me, on the receiving end of his uh, violence, I was, of course, disempowered, made to feel small, unworthy, unlovable. But particularly same-sex parent, he was also modeling for me. He was transmitting a message to me. This is what a grown man looks like when they're unhappy. This is the kind of rage that you can inflict on the world because you're entitled to. And indeed, in my young years, I raged. I had to work my way through it. Partly why I feel I can work so well with raging men, because uh, I know how to do it. So, coming down from the one up, coming up from the one down, coming out of the outer space of disconnection into the warmth of accountability, connection, vulnerability. This is our work in healing men. This is what RLT, the, the school I've created, Relational Life Therapy, is all about. There are three phases in Relational Life Therapy. I, I can't uh, address uh, a group of therapists without uh, naming what RLT does. The first phase I call waking up the client. Uh, this is carefrontation. It's loving confrontation about what you're doing to blow your foot off, about the adaptive child part of you and how your relational stance, repeated relational stance, is dysfunctional. It will never get you more of what you want. What do I mean by repeated relational stance? For example, uh, angry pursuit uh, is a dysfunctional relational stance. It will never You'll never get somebody closer to you by angrily complaining about how they're not close to you. So the first thing we do in RLT is hold the mirror up of what you're doing that will never work. And we do this as an art to it. I call it joining through the truth. Uh, any fool uh, can uh, clobber somebody with the truth. It takes a skilled therapist. We have two-year training program. Uh, to tell the truth to a difficult client, a grandiose client in particular, in a way that's so loving, so pulling for them, that they feel closer to you uh, rather than uh, more. Now, when I was in therapy school, I learned first you form a relationship, and then maybe two years down the line, you can, in RLT, we formed the relationship by uh, uh, confronting the person. Uh, with uh, with their uh, difficult uh, behavior. Joining through the truth, you hold the person in warm regard and cast a cool eye uh, on their dysfunctional behavior, both at the same time. I am, as the therapist, forming an alliance with the wise adult part of the person, even if it's just a sliver. And it's you and me dealing together with that difficult adaptive child. Let's get going. I can't tell you how many 
uh, sessions, I end uh, with uh, something like, you know, uh, you're a decent man. I've been with indecent men to the bone. They're called sociopaths, but you're warm. You're you're connected. I feel it. You know what's so sad, Bill, who's been a womanizer and a liar and a cheat for 30 years? I am talking to a decent man who's behaved indecently for the last 20 years. Will you let me rescue the real you from this nonsense? Who says no to that? The second uh, phase is working with the adaptive child, doing trauma work. Uh, You can't access new skills without doing the trauma work and dealing with the flooding that comes over you when you are uh, triggered. So uh, only Janina Fisher and I in the whole field, as far as I know, we do deep trauma work deep individual uh, transformational work while your partner is sitting next to you. It's so superior to doing it off in somebody's own. It opens the heart of your partner to see what you were adapting to. And then the third phase is education and skills. Once I tell you what you're doing wrong, let me tell you what right uh, would look like. Um, these are the three uh, phases, confrontation, trauma work, and uh, education and skill building. Uh, and I believe it's the combination of all three uh, that produces such a profound change uh, so quickly. Uh, I'd like to show you uh, a tape uh, of a man uh, working with me uh, on shame and self-esteem. I've talked a lot about grandiosity. If I had more time, I'd show you that. Uh, but I want to work with uh, teaching a man how to love himself. Uh, this is a, a very well-known artist, a sculptor, the son of a sculptor, the grandson of a very uh, a, a historical figure uh, artist. Uh, and uh, as a little boy, he had no sense of self-esteem. He has never he told me, had one moment of self-love in his entire life. He's always loathed himself. Um, His father, an artist, uh, would come in uh, every every day. Uh, His little son would be in bed uh, making shapes out of balsa wood. Remember little balsa wood? He was a sculptor. He'd make sculptures out of balsa wood. And he told me every day his father would walk in, take what he was working on out of his hands and throw it in the garbage. Literally, every day of his life. He's never for a moment had self-esteem. This is uh, in a a format I call the couple's experiential. There's one coming up in a couple of weeks. My favorite way of teaching, uh, five couples, two days, uh, and uh, up now it's on Zoom, so up to three or four hundred uh, mental health observers. I work with one couple, try and get to the heart of what's going on. The other couples give them feedback, and on we go for two days. That's it. And then I debrief uh, with the observers uh, for an hour over lunch and an hour at the end of the day. Please come and observe one. There'll be one in a few weeks. 
first of all, thank you very much for a brilliant presentation. Um, we've had a lot of questions or requests in the chat for another link to that video or somewhere like maybe a link to the transcript or somewhere where people can access it online because uh, normally when i videotape a work with clients i make a deal that it will never leave my hands uh but this work was from a documentary uh which you might be interested in called beyond men and masculinity beyond men and masculinity and in it i do some work with a uh an adult male sex addict uh and helping him come down from his grandiosity and uh, say goodbye uh, to his attachment to his sex addict dad. And uh, I will uh, see what I can do to get that uh, into my website. It, it, uh, it might take uh, a week or so, uh, but um, uh, please come to my website and, uh, and sign up, shoot me an email, uh, and I'm gonna do what I can to get a link to that tape because it's public uh, so that people can see another piece of my work. Okay. Okay. Um, no problem. So first question here is from, let's see, um, an anonymous attendee asks, can you suggest how we can make use of your methodology if we can't yet do the RLT training? What are the key actions or elements we might be able to take into your current practice with, with meal clients? I think the important thing is to keep an eye on entitlement, superiority, uh, uh, offensive behavior, attack, uh, as much as you keep your eye on inferiority, shame, self-loathing. Um, one core idea that runs through all of my books, and I, I always say go to my books at this point, uh, but one core idea uh, is that both uh, shame and grandiosity are fueled by contempt, and contempt is emotional violence. When we turn the flashlight of contempt on ourselves, we call that shame. When we turn it out on others, we call that grandiosity. And I want you to start inviting your clients to turn off the contempt conveyor belt. Come down from the one up, come up from the one down, and get contempt out of your life. Uh, start living, I call it full respect living, a contempt-free, nonviolent life nonviolent between you and others and nonviolent between your ears. Invite the men you work with to come out of that contempt and they will be transformed. Okay, awesome. Uh, here's awesome. another one, it's a, a, a corollary. Uh, if you get nothing from this talk and get this, get this. There's no redeeming value in harshness. If it's harsh, it's off whether it's you talking to you or you talking to someone else or someone talking to you. There's nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. So lean into harshness and take it on. It has the power to transform someone's life. Interesting. Okay. Now in the talk, you mentioned that um, a big problem with, with men is that we tend to, we have this, uh, this illusion of invulnerability. We have this illusion, you know, that that's something to be almost aimed for. And yeah, absolutely aimed for. And I'm curious, you know, if, if you're working with a man, how do you help break that illusion? How do you help them see that that is not, that's not even possible? That's not even, yeah. How, how do you help them break that? Um, I bring them back to their childhoods. 
Uh, and uh, uh, remember, uh, the first uh, movement in RLT is uh, this is what you're doing. This is how you learn to adapt. It's getting you in trouble. The second is let's talk about where you learn that from. And as I move them into a relationship with that little boy, their hearts uh, open. It's very hard uh, to stay closed hearted. A lot of men despise that little boy initially. But I literally move them into uh, a, it's like gestalt or internal family systems work. I get the little boy in an imaginary chair and I get the grown man to start talking to them. And I get the boy to start talking back and I form a relationship. And once, like, uh, uh, Niall, uh, uh, you know, how old is that little boy, four or five? Uh, look at him. Uh, uh, how do you feel as you look at him? Tell him. And how does he respond as you tell him? And what do you want to say to that little boy? That's not your fault. Okay, tell him. And as uh, we do that, it's, it's very hard. Uh, to stay hard-hearted. And that's what I did with this man. I'm sorry you couldn't hear it. I first uh, moved him into remembering the love that he gave to his kids. I had him bring his own little boy into that field and feel love for that little boy. And then I had him bring the boy into his body and feel love for himself. So uh, that's, that's it. Can I give you a, a quick story about what that looks like? Yeah, please do. This is what recovery looks like. Uh, I had a couple on the brink of divorce. The guy was a chronic liar, lied about everything. And all of us therapists know this guy. You say to him, uh, the sky is blue. Uh, he says, it's aquamarine. He won't give it to you. you know. He's, so I know his dysfunctional relational stance. He has a black belt in evasion. So then I ask him a relational question. It sounds brilliant if you're not thinking relationally, but once you have the adaption, who were you adapting to? I said to him, who tried to control you growing up? My father, a military man, how I sat, what I wore, my friends, uh, everything. I said, how did you cope with this controlling father? He looked at me and smiled. Uh, that's uh, this re resistance. I, I like that. He said to me, I lied. I always uh, teach my students, be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child. You did exactly what you needed to do to preserve yourself back then. Dad says, don't play with Henry. He plays with Henry and tells dad he played with John. Brilliant little boy. But I have a saying, adaptive then, maladaptive now. You're not that four-year-old. Your wife is not your father. That was it now. They came back, this is all true. They came back two weeks later, hand in hand, were cured. And they were, it was a two session cure. Tell me the story, I said. Over the weekend, the wife sent him to the grocery store with a list of say 12 things. And through to form, he comes back with 11. The wife says to him, where's the pumpernickel? He says, every muscle and nerve in my body was screaming to say they were out of it. But in this moment, I took a breath. I thought of you. That's uh, We therapists lend our clients our prefrontal cortex. They can borrow it. I thought of you. I looked my wife in the eye, and I said, I forgot the damn pumping. And she, true story, burst into tears. And she said, 
I've been waiting for this moment for 25 years. This is a man who in that moment moved into relational mindfulness, out of the automatic adaptive child into the wise adult, out of disconnection into connection. That's what recovery looks like. Wow. It's a powerful story. Um, so we've only got a minute left. Um, we've just got a quick question here from somebody asking, they've just found the video on Netflix. Is it the same one, Beyond Men and Masculinity? Is that the documentary you're talking about? Yeah, it's a documentary, yeah. It, oh, it's on that? Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so you can watch the whole documentary. Uh, and uh, in it, uh, you see me doing a men's group. So uh, uh, great. Everybody go watch Beyond Men and Masculinity. I'll see if I can get it on the website also. But yeah, just access Beyond Men and Masculinity. It's a great documentary. Awesome. Awesome. Now you've got a couple of, you're working on a couple of online courses at the moment, Terry, can you tell us about those and where people can find them, find them online? Uh, you can, if you're a therapist or a coach or healer, go to relationallife.com. One word, uh, two L's, uh, relationallife.com. Uh, I just finished a, a course on relational parenting, which you can still do. Uh, we've got all sorts of wonderful training. Uh, if you're general public, normal person, uh, not a therapist, uh, go to terryreal.com. Uh, and I've got a course called the Us Workshop, Basic Relationship Skills. And we're doing a brand new course called Back to Us, which is an eight-month in-depth course on how to live a relational life. So go to my website. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you very much, Terry. It's been brilliant to have you back with us. Everybody else, we're back in 30 minutes for our final talk from Elder Jackson. So see you guys all then. Thanks very much. And Terry, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Lam.